falling apart. The, the beams have broken and crumbled in on each other, and parts are, are bent the way that they definitely shouldn't be. I mean, this, this is just a mess. And you, you sort of wonder why someone doesn't just finish this building, because it seems easy enough, right? If you're looking at it, it's got beams. Let's just throw some walls and some floor in there. But if you think slightly longer, you, you realize that this frame, as it sits now in, a, in its natural state, could never actually support a finished building. It needs a total work of repair. But you also realize that what is now this building's natural condition was not its original condition. It was created in a better condition than its now naturally destroyed state. This building was originally good. Now it's fundamentally damaged and so by nature can no longer fulfill the purpose for which it was made to hold the building. Now, okay, so these reflections on this imaginary damaged building illustrate Paul's point from 1 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16. God created humanity upright and capable of a perfect relationship with our Maker. And yet our first representative, Adam, rebelled against God and so damaged the fundamental way we exist and our capacities to understand and implement that which is necessary for a perfect relationship with God. So, just like the damaged building frame is no longer able to withstand holding up a building, the very purpose for which it was made, so too now humanity, in what is now our natural state, is no longer able to fulfill the very purpose for which we were made, sustaining our relationship with God. So as we dive into this text, then we need to keep in mind this distinction between human nature as God created it and human nature as it stands in wake of the fall. That building frame was good and could do its job when it was created. When God created Adam and Eve, He looked at mankind in Genesis 1.31 and said, they were very good, which is not something He says about sinful things, but of righteous things. And so, by creation, people were good. Now, after the fall, only God is good. Paul, Paul discusses that natural or that created natural state in 1 Corinthians 15, so we will get there. But in chapter 2, he discussed the fallen natural state. We were once like the building frame that could do its job, ours being to relate to God. That now we are, but now we are damaged and cannot understand the things of God. And so the main point is that we need God to restore and repair us. We need God to restore 
prepare us. We're going to think about this in three points. The call, the condition, and the change. So, the call. Right, again, you just repeat that Paul here described the difference between how people work before and after God changes them. That's what this text is about. The natural person remains under the full effects of the fall, but the spiritual person is someone in whom God has worked to bring them to spiritual life. Paul explained why unbelievers are unbelievers and why they cannot understand the principles of the gospel. We, we know from verse 13 that Paul was talking about how people understand theological truths since he taught spiritual truths to those who are spiritual, namely believers. Verse 14 then so if you're looking at verse 14 and keep your Bible in front of you, verse 14 explains one identical point in two different ways about why unbelievers reject biblical teaching. So Paul said, one, so here's the first one, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for or because they are falling to him. And second, the same thing said a different way, he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So we have two versions of the explanation of what unbelievers do. And we have two versions of the reason why. So let's think first about what unbelievers do at least concerning spiritual truths. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, and he is not able to understand them. So the natural person will not accept God's truth, but that refusal to accept those truths is grounded in how they cannot understand them. Right, so when I was a kid, I had this this box, this little plastic box, and it had uh, these different shaped holes in it, squares and stars and circles, and there were blocks that you were supposed to take, and they were also variously shaped, and put the the star-shaped block through the star-shaped hole, right? Uh, knowing that, I mean, yeah, I understood, all these blocks need to go inside. That's where they're supposed to be. And yet, of course, I would get this impulse to try to fit the square block through the circle hole. The obvious thing you do, right? Now, if I were to imagine this box with a personality, I could say that it was unwilling to accept the, the little shaped block. Okay, so if I was trying to put the, the square through the circle hole, I could say it's not willing to take my square block. Someone would then rightly tell me, well, actually, that box can't accept the square block through the circle hole. So at the same time that it could not accept my block, though, it would not accept my block. And that's how the fallen mind works with gospel truths. The, the fallen person needs the gospel-shaped block inside. Right? But we have so many conversations where our friends are 
unwilling to accept the gospel truth. And the explanation is that they will not accept it because they can't understand it. It seems folly to them, which makes them not want to accept it, but it seems folly to them because the Spirit has to enlighten our minds if we're going to understand it. So if the previous verses indicated that people dwelt by the Spirit understand wisdom from God, this passage then indicates that we need the Spirit to open our minds to understand spiritual truth so that we would be willing and able to accept it. When the Spirit does work to enlighten our minds, to convince us to believe the gospel, we call that effectual calling. So our catechism, shorter catechism, 31, says, effectual calling is a, God, is a work of God's Spirit, whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, enlightening our minds in the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, He, now listen to this, He persuades and enables us to embrace Jesus Christ freely offered to us in the gospel. We're going to come back to that language of persuades later. God's call then is, is a summons that overrides unbelief. It breaks through the wall of sin to create faith in Christ. The, the call, the call then is what brings that natural person to be able to embrace divine truths. That brings us to our second point, the condition. So the last point, looked at verse 14 to show how Paul knew that fallen people are locked in their sin and they are unable to bring themselves to believe in God's truth, which entails that if any of us are to believe, God must effectually call us to faith by His Spirit. Uh, and, And so this point then examines not the condition for being called because God calls us regardless of anything in us, but examines the condition in which we find ourselves before God calls us. So if it's not clear yet, effectual calling raises that issue of predestination. Everyone's favorite. We have seen how the natural person is unable to bring themselves to believe in divine things. And and some people think that that inability means that people cannot be liable, held guilty for their disbelief and rejection of the truth. They assume that present inability means they cannot be held responsible. And the truth is, however, that our inability, contrasted with how we were made, actually increases our guilt. It doesn't diminish it. It heightens and deepens our liability. So, so imagine you're taking a maths test. In America, we just have one math. You guys have lots of maths, I guess. So, But anyway, you review the first problem and, and realize that not only did you get the wrong answer on this problem, you don't even know how 
to get the right answer. You've got no idea how to even work the problem. You don't even understand how to do the work to solve this equation. And so you go to the teacher and you say, I'm going to need you to give me full credit on this question because I have the wrong answer, but I don't even know how to get the right answer. (laughs) What do you think the teacher is going to say? That teacher, of course, is going to say that you will not get full credit, but since you were supposed to know how to do the work, you will be penalized entirely for that as well. And the point is that the condition in which that, that is the same way that fallen humanity finds itself. People are not less guilty because they cannot believe, but they are more guilty. We should remember we were not created unable to believe, but Adam, by his rebellion, wrecked our nature and plunged us into our present inability. God created us entirely able to do all that was required of us, not just believe things, but to fulfill the law in our created state. And we discarded that ability. That is why Paul wrote in verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. The natural person isn't qualified to make judgments about what we believe about spiritual things because they are spiritually blind. We would scoff at the architect who waltzed onto a fishing rig to tell them the best way to catch fish. You are you. What do you know about fishing? We would likely not take the builder's word for what medicine we should take for a serious medical condition. And so too, the unbeliever actually lacks competency to weigh in on spiritual matters. The condition is that we are unable to believe God because we are so entrenched in our sin. As John 3.19 says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Brings us to our third point. The change. We saw that first that only God's call can bring an unbeliever trapped in sinful desire to faith in Jesus Christ. And we also saw the condition of people before they are called is trapped and as Ephesians 2, 1 says, dead in trespasses and sins. And this point looks at the change that effectual calling actually makes. So if we are unable to believe God, but God by His Spirit enlightens our minds to come to faith, what is that change that God actually makes? The first thing that it does not do, it does, it does not place us beyond all inquiry or above all suspicion in every matter. Right? So this is about seeing spiritual truth 
Some have incredibly mistakenly taken verse 15 so that the spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one to mean that no one can question them about them about anything they do or believe and that is not true they claim that having the spirit means they cannot engage in sin or error it's impossible for them to commit and those who say that sort of thing are ironically often the ones found in egregious sin or something like that arguing that it's not sin and it can't be because they can't be judged and that's not how it works paul's point was that those who do not have the spirit cannot override a believer's insights about foundational spiritual issues this verse certainly does not mean that a christian banker automatically understands physics better than the unbelieving physicist that is inaccurate but this verse does mean that when unbelievers make arguments against the truths of the bible those views are grounded entirely in their pre-existent commitment to sin so then to to follow that up if we if we don't become indisputably correct in all matters what change does happen when god effectually calls well we see our answer in verse 16 for who has understood the mind of the lord so as to instruct him but we have the mind of christ this verse is the reason you see it begins with for which should be translated because right i know i tell you that too often so the reason that true christians have the ability to discern truth is the basic in the basic points of biblical doctrine we have the mind of christ they have discernment in spiritual doctrine because no one knows more than god as if they could teach him something and instead we must all learn from what god says they have discerned in spiritual doctrine because we have been given the mind of christ which is what happens when god effectually calls us paul explained this change this operation what god does when he calls by the analogy of god creating light in second corinthians 4 4 to 6 let me read that to you in their case unbelievers in their case the god of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of christ who is the image of god for what we proclaim is not ourselves but jesus christ as lord with ourselves as your servants for jesus's sake for god who said let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of god in the face of jesus christ so sinners were blind unable to perceive the truth but god just like he summoned light to exist by his sovereign power summoned faith into existence in his elect an effectual calling works 
like this, which is exactly the way that predestination takes effect in the lives of the elect. You were steeped and committed to your opposition to the gospel. You were convinced that you knew better than the scripture about your need for a savior. And then you heard the gospel. And whether at the moment you heard or later as it reverberated in your mind, God added his power behind that gospel message to make it persuasive. As our catechism said, attached, God attached his sovereignty to the message itself so that it convinced you to flee to Christ for rescue. That's how effectual calling works. People are so afraid that predestination and calling means God treats us like puppets. But in any topic, it doesn't, it doesn't matter the topic, when an argument convinces, convinces us, I mean, then, then we are convinced. If an argu- if a, if a presentation is persuasive, we don't have the choice after we're persuaded whether or not to reject or accept it. If, if something is persuasive, then it persuades. And God adds His sovereign grace to gospel proclamation to make it persuasive despite your commitment to sin. I mean, so we can't, so we wind this up, we, we can't forget that predestination is not simply to heaven, but it is to heaven through Jesus Christ. Effectual calling is not abstract or to faith in general things, but to faith in the gospel message of Christ crucified which has been Paul's topic throughout these chapters. So, so here's the thing. If you're not a Christian, you need to see that that is simply because you are blind. It is because you are in love with sin. Now is the time to hear this gospel message and heed its call. Jesus Christ died because we break God's law and deserve death. Christ died because we should go to hell. So He endured God's wrath on the cross so that we would not. If you are a Christian, the application is rejoice. Christ has removed from you every curse of the law And as we think in this chapter, Christ has freed you from every bond that traps you in sin. He has set you free so that you could know these truths. And so let's rejoice that we have them and plant ourselves deeply in them. And let's go to him in prayer. Father God, we are grateful for your sovereign work as Redeemer as we have considered all the way since Psalm 71 through the things that we have sung about and the things that we have considered in Ezekiel and the things that we have considered in 1 Corinthians 2. 
We are glad that you are our sovereign redeemer who calls dead hearts to life. If we were left to ourselves, we would be lost. And so we give you praise that you are the God who changes hearts, who, who makes the preaching of the gospel persuasive. And so we pray you do that now. Shatter unbelief in this room. Even, even in us who trust in Christ, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. Cast aside our natural thoughts that we might be captivated by spiritual truths and bring dead hearts to life that there might be more people who worship the name of Jesus. We pray that we would cast ourselves into the depths of Scripture because we don't feel our way to truth as spiritual people. We trust God, who enlightens us and calls faith into being like you created light, you give us understanding as we think on the words of Scripture. So help us to throw ourselves into the depths of Scripture, trusting you to teach us through it. Build us up in these things. Send us out and make us useful in your world. We pray these things for Christ's sake. Amen.